Hey everyone, you're listening to Cinema 5000, another episode where me, myself, Mallory, talk to you about films I have seen in recent times. It's been about two weeks since the last episode, and this is the June 20th episode, so let's talk about what I've seen. Got six movies to talk to you about uh, in recent times. I rewatched a movie in the theater and then rewatched another movie at home. You'll hear about those movies in the episode I released in the first week of July. That will be happening no matter what happens next week because I'm not quite sure if I will see enough movies in the next episode, but I do know for sure I'm possibly heading to the theater twice, so... Stay tuned for that. We'll figure it out. But uh, <laughs> um, let's head right into the first movie I have to talk to you about right now. Uh, but quickly, we're at 5,223 films. And one of those films was the 1991 film called Meeting Venus, directed by Istvan Sazbo. The year, there is no uh, tagline for this movie and I ended up watching it on Tubi. I had rented it from Hoopla. I had been wanting to see it for a while. And the Hoopla... Um, transfer or cut or whatever they, they have on this of this movie online looked absolutely terrible <laughs> so I headed over to Tubi so there were ads but if you're interested in watching Meeting Venice you can find it on Tubi and as I said no tagline but the summary is this celebrated Swedish opera star Karin Andersson is slated to appear in an internationally telecast production of Tannhauser Miss Anderson balks at the notion of working with an obscure Hungarian conductor, Zoltan Sedano. The much-anticipated production may never get off the ground, thanks to labor management difficulties, intramural jealousies, and clashing egos. Amidst all this chaos, the mismatch Anderson and Sedano fall in love. Kind of a weird way to summarize this movie because it actually more so focuses on the conductor, Zoltan Sedano. Um... I think this was a good movie. I enjoyed it. There was a uh, conflict between the two uh, main characters, <laughs> the conductor and the uh, opera singer. Uh, Niels Erstrup Ast- plays Zoltan Stano. Santo. I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm saying that right. Uh, it's not a real character. It doesn't matter. Uh, but, but Karen Anderson is played by Glenn Close. So you still have, you have these two meeting of the minds when it comes to the makings of this production and how things are going to go about. And it starts out with a lot of sort of expected conflicts that you see when it comes to behind the scenes stuff of how you get things done, how orchestras work. And I, um, I don't have any professional experience in orchestras, but I was in a lot of youth orchestras as a kid because I play cello and um, I uh, I know all about how <laughs> people want one thing to be one way and another and, you know, asking about, hey, what are we doing this, blah, blah, blah. Um, so that all felt true to me as it was portrayed in this. And I mean, it is a movie, so whatever, but <laughs> it's not real life. But I mean, there's drama. There's there's drama between the people who are the musicians, the people putting on this production, the conductor, etc. The people paying the bills to get things done. <laughs> um, but I, I enjoyed this film. There's an obvious connection that happens between Karen and Zoltan. And um, it causes some issues about, you know, infidelity and in relationships and things like that. But for a two-hour, um, how shall I say, I want to say it's just a drama. There's some hints of, like, humor here and there and the frustrations, but, like, it's it's more so a drama. It's not too serious, but it has enough conflict and issues happening and good acting that I was entertained 
for the two hours or so, and there's some questions about political history and leanings and characterization in here that might feel a little dated to certain audiences, but I think if you're a mature adult, you can sort of understand the era in which this takes place in. I'm going to go ahead and say I think Todd Field maybe saw this movie. Mr. Director, writer-director of Tar. Um, this is a better movie than Tar, in my opinion. Feels more grounded, has more, um, more, I don't want to say reality. It just felt more true, I guess, about the characters and their issues. And uh, it doesn't necessarily make that a challenge for the audience to accept. So I do recommend Meeting Venus from 1991, directed by Istvan Sazbo. I gave it three stars. It's nothing major. Like, I'm not saying you need to go watch it tomorrow, but if you're on Tubi, you want like a artsy drama. It's it's not it's not too heavy, I'll say that. Um, but if you're a fan of Glenn Close, she's really great in this. She doesn't show up till about, I want to say like 40 minutes into the movie, but when she's on screen, it's like she's a major part of the film. And uh, I liked the little back and forth in the relationship that sort of develops between these two main characters. And uh, not to say that Niels Arstrup isn't a good actor, but I thought he was actually fantastic in this, like really inhabited the performance well. And I've seen him in an, a couple of things here and there. I think this is the first time I've ever seen him in a film where he was the leading character. So uh, it was a good time for me meeting Venus, as I said. Uh, let's move on. I then watched uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 from 2023, directed by James Gunn. Went to the theater, saw it myself with my sister. Uh, the tagline is, once more with feeling. Summary goes like this. Peter Quill, still reeling from the loss of Gamora, must rally his team around him to defend the universe along with protecting one of their own. A mission that, if not completely successful, could quite possibly lead to the end of the Guardians as we know them. But in my opinion, that's not really a bad thing. Um, I had a lot of problems with the second Guardians film, and I was expecting to like this one more than that one. Um, but I didn't. <laughs> I actually really hated this movie. Um, I think I don't, I didn't care for the story at all as far as the story surrounding Peter Quill and the other Guardians. And then you get to the stuff with Rocket Raccoon. And I just thought that was really unnecessarily devastating and harsh to watch. The animal stuff in this movie felt, it felt really manipulative. Like there was other ways you could have done it. There was like shots here and there of sort of violence against animals that I just think could have been not used and it would have made the movie a little more cuddly because it wants to get a certain feeling evoked from you with this this thing that happens um and rocket raccoon's history and i just felt like it was too much i wouldn't say i'm an overly sensitive person when it comes to animal stuff in movies but i just felt like this movie was like okay i'm gonna make you feel as awful as possible um, about this character that is not clearly a real raccoon, but is fake. And I, I just didn't appreciate that manipulation. I was, it just felt, it felt very off color for what this series has, series has sort of been so far, at least the Guardians films. Um, but they do feel like they are, you know, cut from James Gunn's cloth and his storytelling and what he does. And, um, it feels, it, it feel, made me feel bad. I don't like that. No. Um, and then setting that aside, uh, the things that were happening outside of the rocket story that is 
not in the present. Um, I was really not entertained by. I felt Adal was really flat. Um, even when the prior film wasn't so interesting to me, but the conflict was at least... It at least had something there that didn't feel very cookie cutter and expected because there's this ultimate thing they're trying to do and achieve and it's just a kind of standard story. And this movie is, oh my God, this felt like the longest two and a half hour movie I've seen in quite a while. I'm not usually somebody to say, I don't like long movies, make it 90 minutes, make it two hours at most. I am, that's not me at all. I want to go see a movie and feel through its runtime and get what it's trying to do, but this just felt like it could not end. Like, they actually had a goal to make it two and a half hours, and I did not appreciate that at all. Um, I think the only person in this movie that I actually really was fine with was Karen Gillan um, as Nebula. She's she's good in these movies, even though she doesn't necessarily have a lot of... <laughs> well, not a lot of personality variation. <laughs> she's very much, you know you know, oh my god, you guys, I don't like you, whatever, you know, you know how she is. Um, and ultimately, um, Bradley Cooper did not have a lot to do in this movie as present, present time Rocket Raccoon. And, um, I don't like Chris Pratt in these. And I was, you know what? It would have been awesome. I'm going to, this isn't a spoiler, but obviously he doesn't die. It would have been cool if they killed him. It would have been cool if they killed Peter Quill because I just find him non-entertaining. Like he's the least interesting part of this cast. Um, and it's, it's weird. It's, it just didn't, it needed Michael Rooker. Michael Rooker was like a really good part of the Guardians films. His character was fun and weird and it was the right kind of balance to the cast. And like Dave Bautista, you know, as Drax, he's, he's, he's doing the same stuff he does in the other films in this. And I just didn't, it didn't hit for me at all. Another weird thing, Maria Bakalova, who played um, the daughter of Borat in the newer Borat movie and was nominated for an Oscar, um, she does a voice here as a dog, as Cosmo the dog, and we needed so much more of her character because um, it was the, like the right kind of humor for this to like lift you up a little bit, especially since it was one of those animals in the film, but it was the animal in the film that had the one positive sort of scenario. Uh, I just would have liked less of the the less of the disturbing stuff and more of the fun because that's what I look to with these movies and this was just trying so much to say so much about emotions and past and history and it just felt I don't want to say gross just wrong it just felt so bad to me and then add in this extremely overlong runtime and I'm a frustrated person who just wants to leave but can't leave because it's not over and I didn't drive to the theater. So, well, shit. Um, <laughs> um, I will say, though, I do think the villain was actually an okay villain, but their plot line was just, uh, I don't know, because this is spoilery. So if you haven't seen the movie, just fast forward like 15 seconds. He ends up killing, like, an entire planet of people, and we're just supposed to forget about it. And instead, there's, like, these children that the Guardians have to save. So, that's messed up. Um, yeah. Okay. Spoiler talk over. Didn't like that at all. Um, also, visually, some parts of this looked good, and other parts of this just, just looked kind of, kind of boring. But, um, or flat, rather. I will say there was an attempt at production design. I, I appreciate that, because some of the other Marvel movies just look like, like shit to me. Um, like the last Black Panther movie was edging on good, but also kind of terrible for graphics 
you know, CGI wise. This one was okay. But how many, okay, another thing, the fight sequences in this were really bad. Uh, there's multiple times people walk in slow motion. I just wanted to scream, come on, that's enough. Like save the slow motion for like the big moment before the big thing that needs to happen. Don't put it in there multiple times. It just, it just felt, it just felt bad. Like there's so much going on in this movie and I didn't enjoy it. It felt too long and I hated these characters, the way they made them. And no, it's just this was crap to me. This was really, really crap. Like, there's one thing if I see a movie and I my brand acknowledges, hey, this isn't really good, but I'm still entertained. I wasn't entertained for a lot of this. Not at all. So, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 from 2023, directed by James Gunn. Thank goodness this trilogy is over, I guess. Maybe. Please. <laughs> um, I gave it one and a half stars. I'm just not a fan. Not at all. Okay. I know a lot of other, other people are, but I'm just not a lot of other people. Now for something weird, um, let's go to 2007. It's the film Go Go Tales, directed by Abel Ferreira. Uh, the year, there is no tagline for this, but the summary is a financial struggle between owners of a go-go club threatens its future. And uh, this movie stars Willem Dafoe as Ray Ruby. And apparently this movie is influenced or inspired by, rather, um, the John Cassavetes film uh, starring one of my favorites, uh, what's his name? Ben Gazzara. Yeah. Uh, killing of a Chinese bookie, John Cassavetes. Um, I haven't seen that one in a very long time. That was probably one of the first movies I ever rented from Netflix DVD, which, um, sadly is going away. Yikes. Um, so we're talking like almost 20 years ago, I would have seen the killing of a Chinese bookie. So going into Go Go Tales, I actually missed the beginning of this because my friends were showing this online because it has Bob Hoskins in it. And I mentioned before, we're doing this Bob Hoskins movie club. But uh, ultimately, as much as Go Go Tales feels like an incoherent, like, uh, weirdness um, in uh, just like in improvised filmmaking kind of story of like a strip club. Um, I kind of enjoyed it. <laughs> it's just, it's one of those like hang movies that were really present in the 90s. And it should be no surprise that Abel Ferreira made a movie like this where it's just people just doing things, dancers dancing, and then the little conflicts that happen in the club between like, you know, I owe so-and-so money or the women who work at the club aren't being paid. And it's sort of in a lot of ways, just like a metaphor for America <laughs> where you have these men doing these horrible things and maybe aspirational like money schemes and this and that. And then you just have women not being paid enough. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's definitely not a movie for everybody. It's, it's really quiet at times and then kind of loud with this club music and some of the music was like the same music over and over again. I was just kind of like, okay, let's, let's have another, another song here. And then something like will happen where like people are apparently like doing like talent show stuff and they're like allegedly going to be agents watching them and like, you know, find new talent and not in a million years with any of the things happening actually result in anybody getting some kind of deal for a talent contract or whatever. Um, it's a really low budget, strange trip of a film. And, uh, like I said, it's not going to work for everybody, but I kind of liked it. I gave it two and a half. I could not give it five. There was nothing that really said to me, this is like a three out of five. I couldn't give it three stars. There just was nothing that sort of said to me, this is like something I can recommend. That's sort of my threshold. If I gave it three stars, I recommend it. But for certain audiences, I would say watch this because there's a certain, there's a certain thing about this movie that I was very familiar with 
back in the 90s. Like, I used to work in a video store and there'd be these movies you'd see, like, you know so-and-so is in it and you know it's low budget and then you're just like, I don't know what's going on, but people are doing things. It's one of those movies. But uh, Willem Dafoe is pretty good in this movie as Ray. He's, like, running the club and he, he actually sings a song in this. And I... I, I don't know if I was expecting Willem Dafoe to ever sing in a movie. I don't know if he sang in a movie before. He maybe has, but I was not ready for that moment. And then when it happened, I was kind of like, huh, we've got Willem Dafoe just singing his song. And it's interesting. It's a, it's a certain kind of moment. Um, but Go Go Tales from 2007, directed by Abel Ferreira. I mentioned it has Bob Hoskins in it. It also has Matthew Modine. Agia Argento, uh, Sylvia Miles screaming about Bed Bath & Beyond is going to be taking over the spot where the club is. (laughs) She was pretty funny. A lot of yelling, though. Um, Like I said, not for everybody. I gave it two and a half stars, but it's a film. It's out there. Uh, Never actually had a formal release in the United States. Played some film festivals and collective, uh, not roadshowy kind of things, but sort of um, features, series features about like Abel Ferreira's movies and other things, but, um, it's out there on the internet. Apparently I, a friend of mine found it. So cool. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) something not so great. Let's get into Trick or Treats from 1982, directed by Gary Graver. And I should mention up front, Gary Graver has made some films that are for adult audiences only. So going into this, I didn't know that I found that afterwards, (laughs) but let's read the summary. Halloween's over. Now it's the kid's turn to get even. Uh, a babysitter is stuck watching over a young brat on Halloween night who keeps playing vicious pranks to her on her. Uh, to add to her trouble, the boy's deranged father has escaped from an asylum and is planning on making a visit. So you might be thinking to yourself, hey, that's just the movie Halloween. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> um, but basically this woman who's like an actress, uh, she uh, she can't she can't hang out with her boyfriend that night because she's got to take this job from this agency that has set her up with this family. And the family uh, has this boy who is, <laughs> he's a sort of, how do I say it? There's a certain look that like bratty kids had in like the 70s and 80s, like maybe round pudgy faces and just like kind of like, you know, kids a piece of shit kind of thing. Um, the kid just pulls all these tranks on the babysitter and she's like occasionally on the phone um, and trying to figure out, you know, what's really going on. And all the while, there's these separate scenes where the boy's father, who has been committed by his wife, who I don't, I don't think they officially got divorced. I can't remember. But um, he's like trying to make his way out of the institution where he was. And those scenes are all really badly acted. Um, I don't think the babysitter herself was that bad. She, I believe, was played by Jacqueline Grew, and uh, there's nobody really of note in this cast other than a brief appearance by David Carradine. <laughs> he shows up. Um, he's probably the new husband, I don't know, of the, uh, the wife, and Oh, man, there's a scene at the beginning of this movie that kind of sums up the entire problem with this movie. This movie is just 91 minutes. So you might be thinking, hey, that's a breeze. But it's so badly edited. Like, every scene is almost too long. Or at least scenes that, like, take place in one place. Where it's just, like, people having a conversation or something going on. And it just doesn't end. Um, at the beginning, when the wife was having her husband, like, you know... Ca- not really captured, but sort of brought into control by people and put into a straitjacket. There's this like endless 
endless scene that just keeps going and going and he's like you know trying to fend them off and trying to resist but they're just trying to put him in the straitjacket and it it's so clumsy and so bad and so I mentioned about the director before I started talking about this movie um I think this director clearly has no idea how to direct people um with their clothes on and just being normal people because there was just a very strange strange drawn out fashion to this um that felt so amateur um it's not like a badly made movie as far as what's happening on screen but you notice it with the editing and how long everything takes this could have been like an hour maybe even shorter um if i was a film professor i would give this movie to my students and say edit it down make it slimmer make it work make it more watchable um because ultimately i don't think it's really yeah it's just it's the editing it's so bad oh man um (laughs) so trick or treats i had to give this two stars i mean i got through it but um it needed more music it needed more anticipation for what was happening as far as like you know the movie making you feel uh anticipation for like oh something's gonna happen somebody's gonna come around that corner because other than the woman being on the phone and being like oh yeah this kid's acting like a crap you know little brat um you just have the kid pulling these pranks and then the stuff going on on the side with this asylum and it all just doesn't doesn't work very well at all i watched it on shutter (laughs) that's where you can avoid trick or treats from 1982 directed by gary graver gave it two stars now that i think of it i probably should have given it one (laughs) though uh brief shout out to uh writer and i think he's a writer okay for actor director at least uh Paul Bartel, he's in the film as Bum, and seeing him for a brief moment just made me wish it had the humor that his movies do, because uh, I do I do appreciate Paul, Paul Bartel. Um, I watched that uh, Class Struggles from Beverly Hills movie a while ago, and I liked it. I didn't love it, but he did the movie Eating Raul, which is a really nasty, fun comedy, which I would definitely recommend uh, people check out, which is actually in the Criterion collection and you can watch on the Criterion channel, I'm sure. Uh, but no, don't watch trick or treats. (laughs) Uh, another horror film I watched on Shudder. Now this one, I had actually thought I had seen all of it as a kid because back in the day, I mentioned earlier, I worked at a video store and, uh, this was one of the movies I rented and I try to watch on VHS and I think I like got icked out of it because like, uh, it was nasty and gross. Uh, Um, it's The Howling from 1981, directed by Joe Dante. The tagline is, imagine your worst fear a reality. Uh, summary goes like this. After a bizarre and near fatal encounter with a serial killer, a newswoman is sent to a rehabilitation center whose inhabitants may not be what they seem. So as Dee Wallace, as the star of this film, she is playing Karen White. She is this newswoman who uh has this really weird moment now this that sketched me out that scene in the beginning of the film i'm not going to stand about it because ultimately i am going to recommend the howling it's a three-star film for me um maybe not like one of the better werewolf movies i've seen like um i think i prefer wolf with jack nicholson but that's that i might prefer that because it's a little more 
I don't want to say sophisticated. It has just a very different angle on werewolf stuff. But this is like the nastiness, the sexuality, the, you know, skeeziness of like the early 80s uh, horror films. Like this goes right alongside like stuff like Friday the 13th. Um, maybe a little more better made. Uh, directed, directed by Joe Dante. Um, I liked how this was shot. I liked the effects of it. Um, it worked for the most part, I think. Um, it just wasn't how do I say it? Uh, it wasn't like an amazing film. It was just a creature feature kind of thing. I did like the ending for this. Um, I, uh, I don't know how to summarize it other than it is, you know, werewolf stuff. Like they find out that the uh, people where D Wallace, his character, Karen is staying, um, <laughs> people get bit and things happen and, uh, fornication, werewolf stuff, you know, a little, you know, sleazy, whatever. Um, but it's fun. It's not bad. It's for a quick, quick 90 exact same time as trick or treats and better and more enjoyable <laughs> um and uh, i don't know what else to say it's just kind of one of those i don't want to say well i guess it is classic considered classic because we're talking about a film that has really stood the test of time enough that like shutter brought like the howling films back on their streaming service and that's why i watched this i uh was probably only 15 years old when i saw this for the first time or at least part of it and I know exactly where I shut it off because it started to get kind of gross and weird. <laughs> um, but the howling uh, I don't mind it <laughs> you can catch them all on uh, Shudder and don't be surprised absolutely do not be surprised if I go ahead and watch more howling movies <laughs> okay guys uh, let's let's talk about something new something I just saw today that is Elemental from 2023 directed by Peter Son apparently this didn't make a lot of money this weekend so people are like oh it's the end of Pixar it's over nobody saw it because it just looked like more of the same and I almost didn't see it because it kind of looked like more of the same Pixar is really really good at like you know tugging on those heartstrings and making everybody emotional um <laughs> I won't lie I cried during this movie today but uh with good reason uh you know I think about Pixar I think about emotional stuff I think about when I saw Inside Out for the first time and this little girl in front of me in the theater with her dad says, I knew it was her dad because she's dead. she said, Daddy, Daddy, why are you crying during part of the end of the movie for Inside Out? Uh, but Elemental, uh, let's, let's talk about it. The uh, tagline is, Opposites React. And the summary goes like this. In a city where fire, water, land, and air residents live together, a fiery young woman and a go-with-the-flow guy will discover something elemental how much they have in common. Uh, the main characters are Ember, Lum Ember Lumen, who is voiced by Leah Lewis, and Wade Ripple, who is voiced by Mamadou Athi. And I, I love these characters. Um, I will say I was very much on the fence about this movie because some of my friends have seen it and they've liked it. Some of my friends have seen it and not liked it. And for me, um, even though this does have some emotional stuff when it comes to family dynamics uh, and what the core of this movie is truly about, I mean, it's talking about basically people from different backgrounds whose society might look at and be like, well, why are they two together? They shouldn't be together. They're so different. And then it talks a little bit about family drama and immigration and people going to new places because, well, they've kind of been forced to go live somewhere else because of something that happens immigration kind of stuff uh but and ultimately ember and her family um they have a business and uh they sell fire related things in fire city and uh 
their fire area is cute. I, I really like the animation for this. I like the fire characters. I like how they looked. And then things are kind of turned upside down when Wade Ripple uh, runs <laughs> runs through their pipes. <laughs> um, and there is a burgeoning romance between these two characters. And Mamudu Athi's performance as Wade Ripple I thought was really special. Like a really lovely uh, character who is male and... Uh, feels things that's the thing about the ripple the <laughs> ripple in his family they all cry because they're water and uh he's an emotional character who uh i found very charming and wonderful i love it when a movie has a character that uh isn't too serious about their issues but also is open to new ideas and perspectives and uh i thought this movie handled the romantic aspect to it which I had no idea how much of a romance movie this would be. <laughs> um, I think it handled it really beautifully. Like it was really cute because you've got you've got the Pixar stuff there with talking about in immigration and then interrelationships and and that's all there, but it's not so heavy here. I feel like it plays a really nice balance between talking about those things and not being so obvious that children lose the plot completely and then portraying these characters as they fall from each other and understanding you know how they in some respects feel like they can't be together and then figuring out maybe we can be together and what happens when we touch because it's water and it's fire and whoa um it's a secretly kind of heavy movie that doesn't necessarily go heavy like Pixar does it's a it's a nice film. I I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, am I thinking I might, might watch it again? There was something just very special about the the sort of love story here that uh, I just don't see work in a lot of movies, especially not animated movies. Whoa, no. Uh, this gave me like shades. Okay, this is a big, big talk about like how emotions can make you feel about movies right now, but it gave me shades of Wally just a little bit. Um, it's not, it's not nearly as amazing as Wally. Wally is like my special, you know, film that really always makes me cry. And I did cry just a little bit during this. And there were other people around me crying too, like children and adults, like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a sweet film and it, it's so nice to look at. Like, I love the character designs, like Ember's Fire. At first, when I saw the previews, I was just kind of like, I don't know about that character, but I liked the fire stuff. Like, I bought into it more. And then when it comes to Wade Ripple, his character and his family, um, I, I like the water design so much. Wade's hair is like this wave that is constantly moving. And I kept staring at it like, whoa, 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 who came up with that? Like, that is so cool. And you can kind of see through him at times. And sometimes objects get stuck in him because he's water. Uh, and it's, it's neat. It's nifty. It's cute. It's fun. I liked it. Um, yeah. And I do have to mention that before the film, there was a short film that was Carl's date. Uh, Carl Fredrickson is back from up in the short film before the before Elemental. Uh, Carl and Doug hanging out in the house, and Carl might be going out, and uh, Doug gets him ready for a date. And this was fine; it was just okay. Uh, it's not something I would say like go see the movie for just the short. I would say see the movie, and there's a short before it. Uh, and kids in the theater, it seemed like they were enjoying it. And it's funny because uh, <laughs> when the short started, I did hear her mother say, "Did we get to the wrong theater? What happened here?" I don't think they were 
familiar with what Pixar generally does, which is have a short before uh, the film. Um, and as far as Pixar in general, um, I think that Pixar is very hit or miss, especially for me. Uh, if Pixar did Lightyear, I was not a fan of that one. I'm pretty sure they did. And, uh, things like Coco. I mean, I love the music in Coco. I love the design. I like the characters, but the story just doesn't work for me. Really. It feels like kind of the same kind of things you always see, always see in Pixar films, same kind of story stuff. And this has touches of that. Like there is a brief talk of parental loss here. It's not like a major plot point, um, but it's mentioned. And the stuff with immigration is, I think it it's a definite thing that like a Pixar movie would talk about, but it's not like, it's not gonna overwhelm you. It doesn't overwhelm the story. It's, it's nicely done. And yeah, this just really hit for me. <laughs> it really tucked at my heartstrings and made me cry. It's nice. I liked it. I enjoyed it. Um, and I think I would watch it again. Yeah, I gave it three stars, but upon future watches, I mean, it's always possible with a movie like this where it's really nice that it will make me enjoy it and pump up that rating. Um, I do want to say that, like, I'm starting to realize now it has, like, shades of, like, the shop around the corner and, uh, that it's remake you've got mail just a little bit i that's probably a little extreme but i mean those aren't movies made for children this is a movie that will work for children and also should work for adults and if you don't like it fine you don't like it whatever uh <laughs> but i did like it so elemental it's a uh, it's nice it's in theaters now it's it's great to look at it's very enjoyable uh so that is it for this episode of cinema 5000 like i said before um We've got the rewatch recap episode coming the first week of July, possible episode this coming week. I'm going to say like 75% chance there's another episode at this time and next week because I'm heading to the theaters in a couple days to see a couple things. And uh, I actually have ticket a ticket to another regal mystery movie. Oh boy. <laughs> I have my suspicions about what it could be and I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> I... I feel like I go into every Regal mystery movie feeling that way, unfortunately. Um, and yeah, summer is in full swing. So movies out there, movies to see, uh, kind of hit or miss for me, but, um, yeah. And, uh, I, uh, went ahead and went through my Netflix DVD queue because Netflix DVD is ending soon. Um, and I basically figured out which movies on there I cannot physically get. Uh, well, I'd have to buy if I wanted the movies I can only physically get from Netflix DVD that like are not rentals or not streaming anywhere. And so I ended up finding I had like 29 discs that I had to find a way to acquire before Netflix DVD ends. So I upped my queue and uh, as far as my movie count of what I can have at home. And then I decided to put in line things I'm most excited or most want to see. Um, and one of those movies is The Decalogue, which I think is like a series by Krzysztof Kieslowski. Um, but I actually think, never mind, I think I put that at the bottom just because it wasn't like a huge priority for me. Um, <laughs> but I've got some movies to watch that are uh, the kind of movies I have typically rented from Netflix DVD, which are foreign and uh, maybe a little old. <laughs> Stuff I always wanted to see but just never found the ways and means to do that. Or maybe they're indie films. I'm not going to paint it with one brush, I guess you could say. Uh, but one of the movies I will definitely be watching in the 
very short term um is a reprise directed by Joachim Trier which I'm looking forward to because I like his stuff and yeah I'm gonna see Asteroid City that mystery movie and other things uh but yeah follow on Instagram or Twitter cinema 5k that's where you can find me if you want to send an email cinema 5k pod at gmail.com that's cinema 5k pod at gmail.com and I am Mallory. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And uh, I hope you enjoyed this. I will talk to you soon about what other films I have seen, when, why, how, how good they are, blah, blah, blah. Uh, take care. Bye.